Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out by Gold Medal Squared. We have a great episode for you today with a return guest, Lucas Jaden. Lucas talks about the importance of trust and some really practical steps we can take to build trust with our athletes. We have some new patrons joining our team, so a warm welcome to the amazing Richard Brown, John Castillo, and Kevin Troyer. It sounds like a pretty intimidating front row. Thank you for your support. To contribute to the show, visit patreon.com slash coachyourbrainsout or share your favorite episode with a friend. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Today, we are thrilled to have a chance to learn from mental skills coach Lucas Jaden. Lucas works with our LMU indoor and LMU beach teams, as well as another number of other professional and collegiate teams. Lucas, thanks for joining us once again. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you for having me back on. And thanks for uh, the great blurb for the cover of the Coach Your Brains Out book. And we're excited and hoping that you and Joshua Medcalf are putting out a new book with Train to Be Clutch. Is there a new one coming out soon? Yeah, uh, we got a new book coming out called Win in the Dark. Um, and it will be, we're looking at a tentative deadline for spring right now. But um, yeah, hopefully that happens. And uh, yeah, your your book has been some inspiration to me to get it in gear. And uh, I've been handing that out to a lot of people and seeing you guys make it happen was, was great. Awesome. Well, thanks for spreading the word. Um, so today our topic is trust. And I know it's something you've really been diving into. Can you tell us to start uh, why building trust is important for a coach? Sure. I mean, uh, I really view trust as, you know, like the glue that holds relationships together. And whether we're looking at businesses that we work with, teams, um, families, they're all people-centered things. And what's holding them together is trust. And I do think it's also one of those things that are that can be overused um, and become vague, taboo, because it's underdefined. And so we really started digging into it when we had the opportunity to work with so many awesome teams that what was interesting is we would find that a lot of our a lot of teams we would go to, the work that we were doing would take off. But there were some where it was just frustrating to see it not. And consistently, when we started to look at these programs or businesses, we really saw um, kind of a breakdown in trust. And so diving into, okay, let's not just point at this vague thing of you have a breakdown in trust, but rather be able to build it. Um, we really believe that like when you put first things first, second things aren't suppressed, they increase. And first things is, is trust. And so um, just for an overview, I mean, to us, trust is a few things. One, like it doesn't happen automatically just be because of a position. And I guess I want to clarify, and if you guys have anything to add or disagree with, let me know. But it doesn't just happen because you become the head coach or because you get, become partner. Uh, it, it happens over time and with the relationship. Um, trust is a, it's a matter of perception. And so we really got tired of hearing how good people thought their trust was, but then to show up and realize uh, it just wasn't the case. And so not when we the first time we work with groups, we'll do a trust survey. And so one thing that we would encourage anybody 
who believes that trust is critical to what they're doing is to write out the people, the names of the people that they're serving and want to have a high level of trust with and just score them um, zero to 10. I'm like, all right, what, what do I believe my level of trust I'm getting from them is? And uh, then we, when we, we work with people, we do an anonymous survey. And one of the questions uh, that we'll do is just ask them, so what's the trust level with your teammates uh, or with your coaches? And so uh, it's been really interesting. Usually uh, we're seeing that coaches exaggerate or overemphasize a little bit on what uh, their trust level actually is. But it's a matter of perception because it doesn't matter what we think. It matters how it's received to the people that we lead. And uh, just a, a couple other things is that, so when you point this out, I've never seen more people that have a growth mindset that want to learn turn to a fixed mindset and get very defensive as when you challenge their trust building capabilities. And we believe that trust is a skill, like learning other things that the capabilities to build trust can be learned, that the people who do it really, really well um, don't do it by accident, that it's an art and a craft, and um, that it can be developed. Uh, but that you know, trust is is trending real time. I like to imagine like once you get that roster of your people that you're leading out, almost imagine it like a like a stock market exchange and that it is trending real time. And so um, at any given moment, we can be adding to this um, this trust and we view it kind of like a like a bank of like a marble jar or either adding adding marbles to it. I think actually Brene Brown kind of painted that picture and I love it of we are either adding to that by adding marbles to our relationship or or taking it away. And so and the last thing, you know, I want to would love to get your thoughts on like just from the beginning is that trust, um, getting trust from other people isn't 100 percent controllable, which sounds um, obvious, but it is we can control how we behave in the environment that we create. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it is a loop. It requires vulnerability from both ends. And so we've just seen too many programs um, where they try to do trust as a secondary thing and almost uh, might do uh, not focus on it until it's broke and then try to put a Band-Aid on it. And so, you know, I think just to clarify then like, so why? And I mean, it's trust in a trusty environment. We have we observe more engagement. You know, we, we see people that are willing to fail and recover faster. We innovate better. Uh, we see cultures that are treating each other better. And um, it's not rocket science, but it just seems like in high trust environments, people are willing to go all in quicker. And so uh, this is why we started to tackle trust and really break it down into something that's learnable, uh, something that we can get better at and kind of move forward from there. Yeah, so it's clearly, you know, such an important part of any team. So why do you think coaches do have more of a fixed mindset towards it? What's holding them back from really challenging themselves in this area? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I mean, I, I have to be honest with you. The first time I was challenged, that the reason that I was um, not getting results with, that I wanted with the team that I was leading was because of trust is because it's what we care most about. Uh, at least not all of us, but most of us care most about the relationships that we're building with the people we lead. And so when you challenge something 
that is so that people care about so much, that's when the red flags come up. That's when the excuses come out. And when you couple it with just pointing out the problem and not allowing a or, or really having a clear path forward, then I we just see people get very defensive. And I think that's really what has kind of been the the case. And I know you've created a trust framework. It's one of the things you guys have been working on. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of, I guess, define for the listeners what that looks like and maybe go through the first part? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think just overall, what we really have wanted to do is um, be able to break down the skill set so people don't feel like I either have it or I don't with this trust thing, but break down a skill set to be able to do it. And I mean, first, if I could just like kind of ask you guys like to put a face to a name or face to like a trust building person, who is somebody in your life that you've had as a coach um, that really did trust building really well? You know, so the things that I described already, like, they did that for you. They were able to get you to step outside your comfort zone. Um, does anybody come to mind? Yeah, for me, I mean, you know, a lot of people, especially the volleyball people know uh, Marv Dumphy, who was my college coach. He jumps out for me. Yeah. Okay. And so I, when I break down this framework, what I would love to do is just kind of bounce that back of like, all right, how did you see, you know, this with Marv? How long ago was Marv uh, the head coach of the John Mayer? <laughs> It's uh, sad to say it's been a while. Uh, I graduated in 2005, so coming up on 15 years. Yeah, and I mean, what's really cool is what we see is that people like Marv were coaching in an era where they didn't have the awesome brain science that we now have. Um, they didn't probably didn't even know the term growth mindset, but they were still able to elicit it from us um, and really crush this trust end. And so, uh, I love to kind of focus on him as we break it down. One person that I'll bring to mind, a coach that, um, in my area who I view as one of the best coaches in the trust end, as an example, um, his name is Steve Jones. He's a, actually a football coach at a local high school. And I mean, just the results speak for themselves. He's, Uh, I think he was on a winning streak of 70 games in a row at the biggest division in Wisconsin in football Um, and uh, won like five state championships in a row along with his staff. And he's the type of guy I'm going to kind of use as some examples because he puts trust into action. It's been funny watching people try to copy their strategies because that's a lot of times what we do is try to copy strategies. But when I've gotten to know him now as as a really close friend, it has come down to this, this trust end. And so um, to go back, so a framework that we've kind of broken down is um, it's like a kind of like a fraction. In the, numer- in the numerator, we have care, uh, which is do I matter, um, plus credibility, which is do you really know your stuff as a leader, um, plus reliability, which is will you show up in the toughest moments. And it's all over um, kind of the denominator of authentic vulnerability, which is, is it real? Is this genuine? Uh, We've seen people do the top stuff. They care, they're credible, they're reliable, but still fall short because to their people, it doesn't feel right. And it can almost feel like they're doing the things above um, almost out of manipulation to climb the ladder. uh, They're doing it for themselves and authentic vulnerability 
really kind of anchors it. And so we start with that framework and then just kind of unpack it from there. Cool. Well, let's unpack it. So at the top you had, just to repeat, you had care plus credibility plus reliability. Can you start by sh explaining some ways that a coach can show they care for someone? Sure. Um, and obviously, again, simple, very simple things. But I'll, um, for the example I brought up of, of Steve, I'll, I'll, I was coming in to meet him one morning and um, it was the night after he helps coach some some track as well. And it was the night after the sectional track meet that his his team and program were participating in. One of his guys, who's also um, a critical player on his football team, came up just short he, to make it to state. He didn't perform well the night before, was a pretty big letdown. And uh, I'm walking in, it's like 6 a.m. to meet with, with him. And uh, I walk in and all of a sudden I just see this, um, this big dude who just had a heartbreak the night before, just arms wrapped around Steve in a big hug. And um, all I hear Steve saying is, I just want you to know that I love you and, um, and that your value comes from who you are. And that might sound crazy, but care when we look at um, whether it's research or just from we in our surveys, we've asked people, what do coaches do who crush this care end of things? Like, what are some of the feedback? And the top thing is that um, our people know that they matter above performance. You know, they're not just a production unit. They're not just, um, you know, innings that serve us for whether, like if they're a pitcher or they're not just um, our libero. They're, they have deeper meaning than just uh, transactional for who they, you know, what they do. And what we just find is that this care has kind of had a, a bad rap of being soft, but to make it very clear, we'll ask, you know, people who, so who are you willing to fight the hardest for in this world? And it always comes back of like, well, it's our family. And we'll flat out ask them like, so what would happen if, you know, somebody broke into your house which is a very um, dramatic scene, but like broke into your house and put your family in danger. And if they were going to potentially hurt them, how hard would you fight? And it's obviously like tooth and nail. Like I would put my life on the line. And well, why is it? And it's because the level of care and love is driven so deep. And so care is, is that. It's that question of do I matter? And how do I know I matter? Um, the Navy SEALs that we got the opportunity to work with some Navy SEALs and I was interested. Uh, I asked one of them, like, how do you go from not knowing a group of people to within, you know, uh, not a long period of time, having to have each other's back and trusting that you have each other's back in the toughest moments. And I'll never forget what I was kind of expecting, like, oh, it's the bud training or it's, you know, all of this. And the guy just looked at me and was like, once I know more about that person. Once I know about their family, once I know about um, that they have a daughter at home, once I know that they, you know, are scared like I am about losing or, you know, um, something happening with their relationship. Uh, once I know more about them, they don't just become a tough warrior, they become a person. And at that point, I, it's very hard not to fight for them. And mm -hmm. so, as an overview, um, that's how I see care, is how do you build moments specifically and on purpose 
to get that type of relationship. Um, and so, you know, with, with John, we've talked about in the past, like, okay, so what are some tools to move the needle in this area? And um, two things that kind of our research in working with people has really showed to elevate responses in the surveys about care is uh, one is meeting new people. When you, when you bring new people into your culture, getting to know them is um, an awesome opportunity to instantly build trust. The deeper we know them, the, the more that they're going to know that we care. And so we have a survey that we like to, to help coaches use, and we call it the FATE survey. Now this F-A-T-E, um, it can be something you know completely different, but the FATE survey is just literally a formal survey that kids or your, your people fill out. Um, and the F stands for a question around family and friends. You know, who's in your family? Who do you spend time with here on campus? Or who do you spend time with uh, as friends? So who, just who's important in your life, friends and family? A is aspirations. You know, what do you care about in the future? You know, what are you working for that might be bigger than just this sport? Um, T is turbulence. And the question is just really simple. Like, what have you gone through in the past? That would be helpful for us to know that you might be still working through or you've overcome. And then E is just unique experiences. Um, and they just get the opportunity to fill this out. And then it's the coach's responsibility to study it like a game plan. And, and we challenge coaches to get this feedback. Um, is, that, is that something you send out, you're saying early on, or, or do you find it takes, like, I'm, I'm just wondering if like, you've just met the kid, are they going to be as honest, you know, and like tell you about one of their turbulent moments? Yeah. Or what have you found like the best time to send that survey out is? We like to send it out um, after you have a couple face-to-face -face interactions, you know, mm -hmm. to share the importance of it you know, to, we just find that people really respond well when you can genuinely tell them caring about you is my number one priority. Um, mm -hmm. And so it would really help me uh, and help us if you could do this survey and be as honest as it, as you can possibly can be. And it's, we just really find that people love talking about themselves and yeah. they <laughs> don't, are not used to getting asked these questions. And so um, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, if you're bringing in a recruit, <laughs> it's the first time be like, hey, here's the survey, go fill it out. But mm -hmm. if it's someone who is, you know, going to be joining your culture um, and you have a few interactions, that would be the kind of the timing of it. Mm -hmm. Just the way you said that caring about you is my number one priority. That's it's pretty powerful to hear from a coach. Yeah. And, and what we're just we want to see is a lot of people preach it. Um, but putting first things first is we systematize it just like we systematize our training. Um, and so, you know, another, another tool then is, okay, so you get this data and I personally, um, I need to have the data that I can go back to. Um, the number of times I reference these surveys is, um, a lot because I, I can tend to forget. And so going back to them very quickly. Um, but the next thing is then when you get in the heat of the moment, how do you make it intentional and systematic to have crucial conversations and have trust building things? One of the things in our surveys that people who are lucky to have leaders that crush the care end constantly are saying are things like, um, well, here are some actual responses that I, I had out. 
she has conversations with me about life outside of school and remembers what I talk about. He always is asking me how I'm doing and actually listens. Uh, she believed in me well before I did. So we have to make time to have these conversations. And so where we see people fall short is in the heat of the moment, in all the busyness, all of a sudden it can be weeks before we have a, even a, a trust building conversation that is nothing about volleyball or nothing about business, but about the person. And so we use something called rounding and rounding um, is really just what it sounds like. That roster that you have of the people where you've scored, you know, what's my current trust level with now um, just put an X by their name <laughs> every time you have what you would consider a trust building conversation. And that could be simply four or five minutes of talking about, hey, you know, how have you been lately? You know, it seems like you've been struggling or it seems like things have been going really well. We like those words, it seems like. Um, but, and, and when you do that, put an X by their name. And what we find is that people gravitate towards having more conversations with people they already trust and already naturally align to. And we, by default, almost avoid the people we need to be spending more time with. And so just by tracking and creating a commitment, um, we see it really move the needle on the care end of things. Yeah, you, you pushed us uh, at LMU to do the, the rounding. And between our three coaches, we've, you know, we've gotten pretty competitive about it. We, you know, we see at the end of the week, you know, who's, who's gotten the most X's because we know yeah. each person has theirs. And it's really pushed us to look to create those moments because you start to, you know, otherwise you're not keeping track. You don't know how often you're having these conversations, but now like, you know, all right, let's make sure when we're in the van with them, you know, let's see if we can have a caring conversation or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make sure I go to weights today or I'm going to, you know, you just look to create that space. And without that, I don't think we would have been as aware. And then at the end of the week, it's been great because we've seen, wow, we really missed out on this athlete. Mm. Let's see if next week we can, you know, we can be more caring for them. And uh, yeah. it's been really helpful. I love it. And that's, uh, I mean, and again, it's because you've made it a priority. Um, and to, to put it all on kind of like the rocket fuel on care is listening. You know, it, it is probably the most underrated skill, in my opinion, for leaders is to truly listen. We're not taught it. Like in school, I'll ask high schoolers, like you've been taught, you know, you've been taught to read, You've been taught to write, you've been taught to speak since you were tiny, but how many times have we been taught to listen? And it's very rarely. And to me, listening and being present with a person equals love. Like when you're willing to put your agenda aside and truly be with a person, that is, I just, it's like just moving the trust meter. And, you know, in our opinion, we teach levels of listening. Level one is distracted listening. You know, you're on your phone, which I am guilty of enough times. If you'd ask my wife, um, she's helping me with this. <laughs> but um, levels of listening, like level one is distracted. Um, level two, though, is um, is tough because it's, in my opinion, where most of us live. It's when we listen, but we listen to respond. And we're listening to formulate our response, not with any bad intention, but just we're worrying about not sounding stupid in the conversation. And what happens is we tend to hijack conversations and we, we, we miss what could be crucial conversations. And level three is really just pressing pause on 
whatever's going on and, and truly listening, not just in the words that people are sharing, but also in what they're not saying and how they're holding their body and the tone that they're speaking it in and what you can draw out of it. And, you know, when we ask people, so who does trust really well, especially to athletes, and it's really prominent in our pro athletes, um, the person that always comes to the top uh, is mothers. And it's hands down, like a huge disproportionate amount of moms are the ones. And we just wrap our, like the way that we're, we're kind of correlating is, is moms seem to really crush his care end and they seem to really listen. <laughs> hmm. I love moms. As I was thinking, I was trying to be a level three listener. <laughs> but um, I guess my, I think I was more level two. I was formulating my next question. But yeah, well, I'm that... not sure how it works for a podcast either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'd like to be fully engaged. But I hope our listeners right now are, are staying at level three and really taking yeah. in all your great info. Um, so maybe we can move on. I think we could stay on care for a long, long time. Yeah. But um, maybe let's go on to the next one to credibility. Um, so I guess, yeah, just how does a coach build it? Um, yeah, why is credibility important? Well, to me, I mean, at the end of the day, like you can get people to care like and know that you care. But if you aren't um, getting them to believe that underneath your care, they are going to be one of the best trained people in the world because of your leadership, uh, it's going to be a tough spot. And the reason I bring it up is, you know, with access to information, uh, meaning social media, meaning um, just the ability to see people around the world and their craft with as access to info goes up, respect for authority just by default goes down. And so now you're the, you know, as the coach at LMU, um, you're now get, not just getting compared to people in Southern California, you're getting compared to the world and uh, for better or for worse, you know, even if the person that you're getting compared to is doing flashy drills that are not research-based they're actually not good but they have like they look flashy that could be you know mm -hmm. it's enough to call into question well why aren't we doing it and so credibility is about being a technician and being really really good at your craft which has almost taken a back seat in the last couple of years especially with the research around the emotional side of the game but man i just it just feels awesome to be around people where you feel like you have a unique um, opportunity because of their expertise. And, um, you know, I guess I'm going to flip it now. I want to make sure we get back to some, you said Marv was a person who, who really did this stuff well. Um, why was he a person that you viewed as credible? Um, with a, a little, you know, a longer view with some hindsight, um, he was someone he won a, I mean, he won a gold medal as a coach in 1988. So <laughs> that helped. But, but I'd also say from my first year there to my senior year, even just over a couple of years, uh, things changed, things evolved and progressed. And, yeah. and especially as I left five years later and I came back to the gym, I was like, wow, he, you know, this guy's won however many national championships, you know, won gold medals and he's still, he's still changing with the game or staying ahead of the game and not just like to be creative, but because he's studying it and yeah, um, pushing himself. Yeah. And, and so, 
he's constantly upgrading. I mean, you had a coach who won a gold medal. So, I mean, literally one of the best in the world. Um, and then I know we jumped from care, but like, what did, what did that look like from Marv's end as well? So you have a gold medal coach, but I've seen a lot of gold medal coaches flop in the care end. So how did he do that? Yeah, two things come to mind. One was that I think there was a lot of coaches I played for who they'd call me over and you'd kind of get nervous and, you know, they'd, they'd beat you up about something. Mm-hmm. Whenever he gave you feedback or called you over, you were excited because he was going to build you up. Mm. And then the the second part was that he, uh, I remember actually on uh, when he came to my house to like, you know, recruit me, um, he didn't even spend that much time with me. Like he was out in the backyard pay, playing catch with my brother mm. and uh, helping, you know, my mom clean dishes or whatever you know he was just hanging out with my family and and that's it continued the whole time it was always like hey how's your brother doing you know have him bring his gloves to the next game and yeah um, there's a lot of follow-up on yeah my family yeah and so you i mean just think about what you just said with okay you couple that level of care and that level of focus on you as a person i mean can you imagine what how many players don't have that person that when they're called over to their coach, they're excited to hear the feedback. Um, but now you couple it with the credibility in the passion to learn and grow. Um, that's that's unique. And we I really like the term uh, learning velocity for credibility. Like credibility isn't through certifications anymore um, because certifications are a dime a dozen. It sure seems like I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying there's a lot out there. And so instead, learning velocity is like taking ownership of your learning and and, in making sure that you're holding yourself accountable to get better. Because those same resources and tools that are comparing you to the world, they also offer you the opportunity to now learn from people from Harvard, (laughs) learn from people who are the best in the world, who in the past we never had access to. And so... Um, in, in my opinion, credibility is not something that you get, um, just because, you know, you reached a milestone, but rather because of that insatiable willing willingness to learn and grow. And it can't just be experience either. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people say, you know, well, I'm credible because I have 15 years of experience and that's hard because time is not an even unit. Like one year of experience is not the same as for John Mayer or Billy Allen as it is for any other coach. And so um, I've almost seen, you know, a lot of coaches who their 15 years of experience was almost, you know, 10 of it was bad because they lived in a toxic environment. And so it's really, okay, you have this time, but what have you done to actually learn and grow? And you know, from our surveys for the people that have scored really high, um, they've said things like, you know, there's very little downtime in practice because there's a purpose to everything. One of the things that we use is just that we challenge people. And I was like, okay, how do you practice plan? You know, I've had the, the uh, it's been fun to watch you practice plan, John, and write up that that marker board uh, and get it into action. But it's, it's incredibly intentional. And um, people feel that. When there's purpose, there's a, a level of flow to practice that is different. And um, and then there's also a, a way that people communicate that really shows credibility. And one, one thing that comes up a lot is like uh, when this person talks, everybody listens. And um, 
that comes from a level of confidence that I don't think you can just make up. It comes from real in the weeds training. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you know, some, some tools, just very specific things that we challenge people to do to raise their level of credibility is film themselves when they coach. Uh, we have a cool kind of tool now that uh, you just, it's basically like a microphone that you put around your neck. Uh, it's very small. It's like on a lanyard and you can put it on, we put it on some of our coaches neck and uh, just, it's like they're mic'd up for the game. And then we just look at feedback uh, afterwards. Mm-hmm. But, um, and the second thing is just taking out your calendar and literally scheduling opportunities to learn. And so, I mean, you guys do it well to be able to schedule this time to do podcasts. Like it's not easy. Um, I know you both had to just make it here in time, but you schedule it and that's how it happens. So um, those are just some of the key things that we see moving credibility forward. So you'd say coaches that want to build credibility should be subscribing and listening to this podcast, buying our book. I mean, that's the big key. (laughs) That is definitely one great place to start. That was part one with Lucas Jaden. Join us next week for part two. Trust me, it's a good one.